What to do, Shawty? <laughs> Murder stories lull the baby to sleep. Okay. We're a little weird at first, but you get used to us. We're your favorite sisters. Except for if you have your own sisters, probably. <laughs> no, but I'm gonna be, you know, your favorite. We're gonna bump them bitches out of there. Kick rocks, other sisters. No one likes you. Kick rocks. <laughs> Wake the fuck up or shut the fuck up. No one wants to hear about that. <laughs> you just told them I like to poop. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be uh, an adventure and we hope that you come along for the ride please subscribe you'll make the baby cry if you don't yeah don't upset Ethan by not subscribing that's just rude welcome to Suspicious a podcast with two sisters who are a bit obsessed with true crime, unsolved mysteries, extraterrestrials, and all things strange. Stay a while. Let's get weird. All right. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hey what guys. it do? <laughs> what it do, shawty? Welcome back to Suspicious. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Hi. Hello. Hi. Murder story time. Murder stories. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you checked out our last week's episode, awesome for you because they were job. great stories. Uh, if you didn't, you should check them out. We talked about, um, who did we talk about? Last time we talked about the Tupperware twins. Or not twins. Oh, yes. The Tepper I'm sorry. The not twins. They're not Awkward. twins. Awkward. Awkward. The um Tupperware Tupperwine. Um Tupperware. Tupperware. The Tupperware. Tupperware twins. <laughs> no. They're the Tupperwine wife and husband shooting team. Which would be very awkward if they were actually twins. Competitive shooters, I should say, because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you might assume you might have a shooting couple. Shooting couple, <laughs> yeah. No, competitive shooting, awesome team. Yeah, and then we also talked about Benjamin and Erica Seifert, who were a couple that did some crimes together. Good shoots, <laughs> shooting crimes. Didn't they do shooting? Did crime? they shoot? Because I thought you said that. No, I don't think they. Sh- did they shoot? I don't remember. Knives were involved for sure. Knives out. Have you seen that movie? It's great. I have seen Knives Out. I like it, actually. It's really good. Okay, so this week, what are we going to get into? This week is a viewer request story. Ooh. Our first request story. I also have another request story that I'm still researching. So if you um, requested one as well, um, after our first podcast came out, you know who you are. I'm still researching <laughs> that one. I don't want to spoil it, but this one was a a request as well, and this is going to be on the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. I don't know that I know this story, but I'll let you know for sure after you tell it to me. (laughs) I didn't think I knew it at first, and then as as I was doing my research, research, um, I realized I didn't know it, Um, but anyway. So just before you start, mm-hmm. if anybody has any other recommendations for stories that you want us to tell, please go to our Instagram 
and leave it in a comment, or you can email us at suspicious at gmail.com. And our pod, our podcast Instagram is suspicious underscore podcast. So go follow us on Instagram. Okay. Give us follows and likes. Yay. Don't things. forget to rate and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our cool stories and our awkwardness. Yeah. Because who doesn't love awkward I mean, stories. I think we're all a little awkward, you know? Okay. 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 Let's get to it and go. Let's talk about the disappearance of Alyssa Turney. So Alyssa Turney, I don't know why the last name is so hard for me to say. Alyssa Turney was 17 years old in 2001. Um, she is five foot four, 145 pounds. She has light brown hair with blonde highlights. She was a junior at Paradise Valley High School in Phoenix, Arizona. In 2001, she had a 12-year-old sister, oh, sorry, 12-year-old half-sister, Sarah. And she has three stepbrothers who were older. Alyssa's mom, Barbara Stranum. I might be saying that wrong. She had passed away when uh, Alyssa was eight years old of cancer. And her stepdad, Michael Turney, Sarah's father, and uh, adopted Alyssa. So Sarah and Alyssa lived with Michael. And Michael was a former sheriff's deputy and an electrician. Alyssa um, is described as spirited, a spirited teen with uh, affirmation for, affinity for animals, affirmation with an affinity for animals <laughs> and sketching. She had a steady boyfriend, John Lackman. She was a um, good, she was like a good average student in high school. She had a part-time job at Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box? Two tacos? Two tacos, 99 cents. <laughs> no inflation. It's been that way for her. Forever. <laughs> Forever. They're the best. Um, dude, I love the, fr- side note, I love freaking A-rolls from Jack in the Box. Just saying. That's funny. I never get them. Oh my god! Side note on the tacos, though, when mm. I was a vegetarian in high school, mm-hmm. uh, well, when I decided to be a vegetarian, I had a coupon for two free tacos that day. The day I made the decision, and I was like, "I'll start tomorrow." <laughs> and Damn I got right. Those tacos. <laughs> okay. Um, so on May seventeenth, two thousand and one, um, and this was the last day of her senior year. Alyssa was last seen at her home. Earlier that day, about 11 a.m., Alyssa went to the workshop class at school to let her boyfriend, John, know that she was leaving school early and that Michael was driving her. Michael reported to authorities that he had picked Alyssa up from school and that they had went and ate lunch and he had taken her home. He then went went out to run errands and he returned and she was gone. Did it uh, say why she was leaving school early? Like, did Because he was picking her or? up. No, he was picking her up so they could go out to lunch together. Okay. That's what he said. Interesting. Um, Sarah, so Sarah, which is, again, Alyssa's sister, was out with her seventh grade class at a water park and had expected her father to pick her up. When they were done, she said that he forgot and she went to a friend's home. She called Michael and left him a message. Um, to let her know that she was at the friend's home. Sarah said that when he did finally pick her up, he said Alyssa wasn't answering her phone and he was worried. And he had asked Sarah to call Alyssa. After multiple attempts, there was still no answer. 
when they got home, Alyssa's room was a mess. This was unlike Alyssa, who kept her room normally very tidy. And when they tried to call Alyssa's uh, phone, they found it in her room on a dresser, along with her house keys, all her clothing, her makeup, her hairbrushes, even her car was still at home. However, in her room, they found a note from Alyssa that stated she was running away to California and said, Sarah, you wanted me gone. Now you have it. Now, it was not unusual for kids who lived in the area, um, Phoenix area, to want to run away to California. Um, And it was not that far-fetched as Sarah said, quote, California was this beautiful dream that many people lived here wanted, uh, end quote, including Alyssa. Um, She also said that, quote, she even wanted a white Jeep to drive around just like Cher from the movie Clueless. Was there any, um, so in the quote unquote note that was left, um, she said, you wanted me gone, so now you have it. Was there any validity to that? Like, did Sarah say, like, they didn't get along or? No. Um, Like that was out of left field-ish? Kind of, yeah. From what I could tell, like there, I didn't see any stuff that, that was um, substantiated. Like there were, they didn't have any fights or anything. I mean, okay. they probably fought like sisters, but it doesn't, nothing like that. Um, let's see. They, um, they had an aunt who lived in California and the girls even talked about going to California to see her, but Alyssa did not um, go over to her aunt's. So she wasn't found at her aunt's. James Turney who was 27 at the time, is one of Michael's sons and Alyssa's stepbrother. He said that he had hoped to give both Alyssa and Sarah a place to stay after their mom's death. He believed that Michael was not treating the girls right and was afraid for their safety. So he was currently preparing to take the girls. James had spoken with Alyssa a couple months before she disappeared, and she told him that she was afraid of her father and that she wanted to leave, but Sarah didn't come to stay with him either. She was reported missing on May 17th, 2001 by Michael. Sarah said that her father was being frantic about finding Alyssa. He went from home to home looking for her, passed out flyers, and even traveled out to California multiple times throughout the years, telling everyone he was looking for her. Um, Sarah remembers her father, quote, was always frantic about her, unquote. He, quote, always knew had to know where she was and what she was doing. He was very overbearing, but he wasn't that way with me, end quote. Um, Everyone, including investigators, initially thought that Alyssa ran away. Um, Both James and Sarah said that if Alyssa did run away, she would have contacted someone at some point by now. Uh, There was almost $1,800 still in her bank account that was never touched until about six months later when Michael had it transferred into his account. Plus, again, she left behind all her um, belongings. According to Sarah, she had never mentioned running away, and Sarah and Alyssa were very close. Alyssa practically raised Sarah after their mother died. Sarah even remembers that once Alyssa tried to give her the Rachel haircut, which was, again, popular (laughs) in the 90s, 2000s, but um, it came apparently out looking more like Carol Brady. Um. One week after the disappearance of Alyssa, Michael told police that he had gotten a phone call from a payphone in California. The conversation was scrambled, but he realized it was Alyssa on the other side, on the other line. He had said 
that Alyssa told him, leave me alone, before hanging up. The police said this call was never verified or traced. I was going to say, isn't there, wouldn't there have been a way to see, like, on his cell phone bills if he got a call from a pay phone? Uh, it would have been, I think, his home phone. But, but still. Um, but it was never verified or traced by the by the police, they said. Um, also, Michael had been, had, blah, blah. Michael had been known to have security cameras at the family's home recording everything, including phone conversations. But this info was not included in the investigation until years later. So no one had asked for or checked this when Alyssa was supposedly to have called the house and the case went cold for the next few years. Um, Sarah never gave up searching for her sister and looking for answers. Um, in 2006, there was some hope when a Florida man confessed to her murder. According to Arizona Republic newspaper, Thomas Heimer, who was responsible for over 20 deaths, told a prison guard that he had killed Alyssa. Um, Alyssa. Thomas was arrested in 2001 in Gary, Georgia, a few months after Alyssa's disappearance. When he was arrested, he was found driving a car of Sandra Goodman. She was found strangled, stabbed, and wedged under a bed in a Florida Fort Lauderdale, ugh, Fort Lauderdale hotel the day before. Um, in 2003, Thomas was sentenced to life in prison. So according to the Phoenix police, when interviewed, Thomas pointed at a picture of Alyssa and claimed that he had killed her. He claimed that they had met in a motel, that they had sex, and that he murdered her. Then he dismembered her body and allegedly dumped the body parts in recycling centers. His confession came into question when police soon found out that Heimer had described Alyssa's personality traits that were not true according to friends and family. Also, Heimer had claimed that Alyssa had a serious heroin addiction, and he had mentioned some some sexual traits that she had. These didn't add up to what friends and her boyfriend had shared at that point, and police theorized that Heimer probably saw her photo in the papers and decided to toy with authorities. Or maybe it was like someone else who looked similar that he actually did kill. And he later admitted that um, he might have been mistaken and eat even, oh, yeah, he, that he might have been mistaken. So, he was basically... Yeah, there's no real... Th it was discredited. Yeah. So, even at this point, it was a plus for the case because it brought Alyssa's ca um, case back into the spotlight. So, initially, when Al Alyssa went missing in 2001, police did not contact friends or family. So, I don't know if that's normal for quote-unquote runaway, but they didn't contact any friends and family. So, however, in 2006, after the fake confession, friends and family were finally interviewed. So, five years later. I feel like that is weird. Because, like, yeah, if someone's missing, normally you check with everyone that they know to see if they know anything. Or did they ever say where they, you know? like. But maybe it's because Michael was a former police officer. So, I don't know. Oh, maybe. But, um, so, uh, friends and family were finally, finally interviewed. Friends, including Alyssa's boyfriend, John, informed police that Alyssa said Michael had verbally, was verbally abusive to her, calling her stupid and a moron, and they also claimed that Michael had been sexually abusing Alyssa. Sarah said 
At first, she thought her father had no involvement in the initial disappearance, but now, as time has passed and things have been um, and things have been changing in the story over the years, she does think that Michael has involvement in the disappearance. In 2008, invest investigators opened Alyssa's case again and declared foul play as a factor for her disappearance. She was no longer considered a runaway. Um, Sergeant Maggie Cox said that the allegations of sexual abuse by Michael Tur Turney prompted investigators to focus on him after speaking to several people in 2008. In December of 2008, police executed a search warrant at Michael's home. Michael, oh, Michael's house was searched and multiple videotapes dating back to the 1980s were found, including surveillance footage was, was taken, but unfortunately there were no videos from the day that she disappeared. Michael admitted to surveilling Alyssa at work, using binoculars to spy on her, police say, and they also... Uh, also during the search, police seized a number of homemade contracts between Michael and Alyssa, one from 1999 stating that Michael had never molested Alyssa. I remember this story now. Um, police also tried to search Alyssa's room and requested the note that she had left at the home when she said she was running away. Michael, however, would not let them in her room and provided only a photocopy of the note, not the original. After this, he refused to cooperate with police any further. Uh, Michael is the only family member not to cooperate with police and investigators on Alyssa's disappearance. Also, a few other items found during the search warrant were 19 high-caliber assault rifles, two homemade silencers, a van filled with gasoline cans, 26 homemade explosive devices that were filled with gunpowder and roofing nails. This was the largest stockpile of explosives discovered by the Phoenix police in the Phoenix Police Department history, according to the Arizona Republic. They also found a 98-page manifesto quote, uh, titled The Diary of a Mad Mar Martyr. Michael worked as an electrician in the 80s and complained that work about workplace conditions. He accused the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers of being involved in the alleged kidnapping and murder of Alyssa. He planned to blow up the Union Hall in a revenge plot and planned to kill himself in the process. So, Michael was arrested for the weapons, and in March of 2010, he decided to represent himself. Smart. Always great. Good decision. I, think I feel it's like it's always the guilty ones that are like, I'm going to represent myself. I got this. I think... <laughs> Has it ever worked out for anyone representing themselves? I mean, in I'm most, sure it has. But in most cases. Well, because I feel like in most cases, it's people that are guilty, that are way too confident in themselves. Like, this, I'm never going to get caught. And then yeah. they decide to represent themselves. So, so he decided to represent himself. And in court, he claimed that his writings were fictitious and not he was not physically or mentally capable of executing such a sophisticated attack against the Union Hall. Okay. So, uh, he ultimately pled guilty for unregistered pipe bombs and was sentenced to a max term of 10 years in federal prison. Uh, he was diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder and required by the Bureau of Prisons to participate in mental health treatment program and was placed on a three-year supervised probation after 
completion of his sentence. So Michael was released from prison in 2017 after seven years. And then I think he had to do the, he has to do the supervised visits after. Yeah. Um, so Sarah had hoped that her father's involvement in Alyssa's missing persons case would ramp up, but police were unable to prosecute anyone in the case. And again, it stalled. Obviously frustrated, uh, Sarah was told that her best next steps were to involve the media. So she reached out to local and national news. She stayed, She started a Facebook page and a blog called Justice for Alyssa. Uh, also participated in several podcasts, one called Missing Alyssa by Octavia Sapala. And on this podcast, Detective Stuart Shoe, Summer Shoe, it's always the last names, man. Always the last <laughs> names. Detective Stuart Summershoe of the Phoenix Police Department, who worked on Alyssa's case for years, said it was the relationship between Alyssa and Michael that shifted the attention from her as a runaway to foul play. Alyssa apparently told her boyfriend, John, and other friends of disturbing info, some of Michael's constant surveillance of her and his need to control her. In 2017, a few months after her father's release, Sarah decided to meet with him for the first time in years. They met at a Starbucks and spoke for about an hour. Sarah had recorded their conversation, um, so good on her. Secretly, I'm assuming? Yes, I believe so. Uh, Michael, uh, once he realized that Sarah didn't come to reconnect, um, he had got mad. Um, but Sarah kept pushing for answers, and finally Michael told her that he would give her, quote, all the honest answers, unquote, on his deathbed, and said that he had said, beep, beep, beep. he said he'd confess if the state agreed to give him lethal injection within 10 days of his confession. This was the last time that Sarah had talked to him. Um, I'm assuming... Sorry, no, that she turned that over to the police. So, yeah, she went to the authorities with her information and recordings. But they told her that without an official police confession or a body, that there was nothing they could do yet. So, then we go to February 22, 2019. The case was formally submitted to the county attorney's office requesting homicide charges against Michael. But no charges or charging decisions were made at this time. Michael remained the only person of interest in Alyssa's case, per Sergeant Cox. Then, in later in 2019, or yeah, later in 2019, Sarah started her own podcast called Voices for Justice. This podcast takes a more intimate look at Sarah's family's history, including events leading up to her disappearance and a timeline of what has happened since. Um, so I didn't go super in depth because there's that if you want to learn more. Um, Sarah had launched an online petition calling for Michael's arrest, and it was signed by nearly 300,000 people. And in early 2020, Sarah started to make TikTok videos. So this is where I heard about this case from this TikTok video. Um, I remember hearing about it before but all this new information is new to me yeah so um so she started making tiktok videos which helped spark interest in the case um and more interest than in the last 10 years 
she also posted a video, um, which this is, I think, on the TikTok. Um, it was a video, and then there's audio from 1997 video where Alyssa calls Michael a pervert. And I think in her TikTok video, she says, like, stay away from him. He's a pervert. And she's, like, off in the distance. And he's kind of in between her and whoever's recording. I think it's Sarah probably is recording. So at the, t- at the time Alyssa went missing, she, again, was 5'4", 145 pounds, with brown hair and blonde highlights. She had a small scar on her chin. Phoenix Police Department Missing Persons Unit is currently in charge of Alyssa's case. And any information you might have on the case you're asked to contact them at 602-262-6141 or at phoenix.tips.ppd at phoenix.gov. Or you can contact Silent Witness at 480-WITNESS. And this is where it ended until August 19th, 2020, when Michael Turney, now 72 years old, was finally arrested. He faces second-degree murder charges. Alyssa's body still has not been found. The audio clips have helped make a strong case for Michael's arrest, according to the Arizona Central. Michael is expected to stand trial in 2021. Um, so, per Twitter, Sarah wrote that she was, quote, shaking and crying, unquote, after the indictment was announced, and she has plan- no plans on abandoning the case now. She told the Times, quote, all I can hope for is a fair trial for Alyssa and my father. That's all I ever wanted is for both of them to have their day in court, unquote. So Alyssa will be attending every hearing um, as it comes up, but I couldn't find any information on when his hearings start. Um, At least when I was looking this up, I couldn't find any information on if it's already started or if there's like a set date yet for him. Yeah. But I'm glad that he was finally he finally arrested. was arrested and Jeez. charged with her murder. Um, so and that's the case, the d- disappearance of Alyssa Attorney. Uh, yeah, I remember. Like, I didn't remember all of the details of the case, but I do remember, um, like, hearing about him surveilling her while she was at work, and like, yeah. And what's crazy, crazy too is like he obviously had recordings and he has phone recordings, but mysteriously on the day she disappeared there's no recordings and right. on the day she called there's no recordings right yeah 100 so, percent. those were either not recorded or deleted oh 100 percent. trash bag Ugh. yeah i'm glad it's this year because then we can follow it hopefully hopefully we'll find out some more information on it but yeah so that's it's sad but you know yeah. But good, good news on it. And his, her sister, um, Sarah, is now, I believe, um, if she was 12 in 2001, I think she's in her 30s. She'd be 32. Yeah, she's in her later. 30s. Yeah. Um, so she's in her, her early 30s. So she hasn't given up and she's, you know, yeah, that's a, pretty a very awesome. good advocate for her sister's case, which unfortunately is what some people need because the system has their hands tied in a lot of aspects, unfortunately. So, well, and for cases that are so old, it's like, it's hard to get new evidence for those. And so unless you're like continually digging or putting it in people's faces, what really can be done, you know? Well, I also wonder too, why they didn't interview any of the friends and family when she did disappear and they didn't interview until what's between six and eight years later. 
or no, five and six, five and seven years later, they interviewed them. Which is stupid because your they memories change. Like it's hard to recall something from five years ago. Well, then they served the search warrant so late. Like who He's knows how much he had destroyed. Right. So, yeah. But anyway. Well, hopefully he gets exactly what he deserves. Oh, I'm sure. Hopefully he gets, I don't wish harm on people, but maybe he'll get shanked in prison. So that was my story. So let's go from one missing person Mm -hmm. to another missing person, but in a different kind of way. So this, um, so initially I looked up Alyssa Turney just to see uh, where it happened, to see like how I was going to tie my case to yours, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I started with the Phoenix, Arizona area. And it actually ended up with a story on Robert William Fisher. Um, and the incident actually also took place in 2001, which is super coincidence. Um, okay, so Robert William Fisher was born April 13, 1961 in Brooklyn, New York. Um, when he was young, his parents got divorced and he went to live with his father, who then eventually remarried. Um, and it was reported that the stepmother was mean to him and his sister super stern, just really wasn't kind to them at all. And so because of this, um, Robert grew up with a very strong opinion about divorce. And he would often say that whenever he got married, like divorce was not an option. So as he got older, he ended up joining the Navy. He wanted to become a Navy SEAL, but never actually completed that training. Um, But it was said that he would sometimes still tell people he was a SEAL, even though he wasn't. Oh, I heard that training is really, really hard, actually. I'm sure it is. But also, is that considered, um, like, fake valor? Probably. Like, I don't know. I it's guess just so. stupid. Like, stolen, if, stolen if valor, that's what seal, it is. If you're not a SEAL, don't valor. say you're a SEAL. Yeah. Um, so after his stint in the Navy, he became a firefighter in Santa Barbara, California. And while he was working there, he ended up sustaining a pretty significant back injury that would require surgery at some point. Um, and he was really financially responsible, so he knew, like... I can't afford it right now. And I, he didn't believe in like debts. So he was like, I'm going to save the money and then get the surgery when I can. So he would save his um, money so that he could pay for things in cash. So during the time that he was in Santa Barbara, his sister, who was in Scottsdale, Arizona, introduced him to one of her really good friends, Mary Cooper, um, who was also in the Scottsdale, Arizona area, which is kind of described as the Beverly Hills of the Phoenix area. Um, so it's a really nice area to be. Um, so Robert and Mary started talking long distance, um, but because his back injury made it so that he couldn't continue on with firefighting, he ended up moving to Scottsdale as well, um, and then began officially dating Mary. And in 1987, they were married. So within a few years, they had their first child, a daughter named Brittany, and then a couple years after that, a son named Bobby. Now, Robert ended up working at the Mayo Clinic as a first, nope, now Robert (laughs) ended up working at the Mayo Clinic first as a surgical catheter technician and then later as a respiratory technician. I'm going to say probably not the best job as being a catheter technician. We had to stick things in people's pee holes all day, every day. Yeah, it's not a job I would want, but maybe he enjoyed it. I don't know. Um... So 
at the Mayo Clinic while he was working there. That's really when he was stacking away his money so that he could have the back surgery, which he eventually did have. Um, he was also an avid hunter, fisherman, and camper, and he would take weekend trips or sometimes even week-long trips to go out into the wilderness. Um, he would usually go hunting with the same group of men that had shared interest, um, but slowly they started not wanting to go with him anymore because he started acting stranger and stranger. One incident they reported was that they had shot an elk, and while they were getting it, Robert was smearing the blood all over himself, like practically covering himself in the blood, and they kind of started to get the feeling that like he enjoyed the actual act of killing the animals more than just the sport of hunting. Yeah, that's a little, that's definitely a probably creepy. a little concerning to any hunter. Is like, now he's bathing in their blood, so mm, I don't know if I'm going to want to go hunting with him again. Yeah, so they stopped going. Um, <laughs> Surprise. Rightfully so. So Mary, on the other hand, like stark contradiction, um, was super devoted to her faith and uh, her belief in Christ and was heavily involved in their local church. Robert was too, but like not to the same degree. Um, and so their children grew up in the church. Brittany was described as the sweetest, most outspoken girl, smart and dedicated to the church and never afraid to talk about Jesus to anyone. And Bobby was a typical young boy who was very energetic and playful and always laughing and having fun. So while they generally had a good marriage, it was said that um, Robert was very controlling in their relationship, not in a yelling or angry way, but in a very like methodical, manipulative way. Can you hear Chevy's bell? I can hear Chevy's bell 100%. Chevy, stop scratching. Okay, so manipulative, methodical. Okay. So he was someone who was very analytical, and you could, like, see the gears turning in his head while he was, like, actively thinking out how he was going to say what he was going to say. And so neighbors of the couple indicated that they fought nearly daily and that they always heard Mary being the one screaming or yelling or calling Robert worthless, and they never heard him raise his voice. Gaslighting. Total gaslighting. So, yeah, they didn't hear him, but it was literally because he was so careful and conscious about what he said, how he said it, and who was around when he said it. Um, so he was so controlling that it was said that she couldn't even hang the children's artwork up in the house without specifically getting his permission first. Um, he would be super demeaning to her, um, purposefully try to embarrass her, spray her down with like a water hose, like just overall not the nicest to her um, but he was never physically abusive to her or kids but he was gaslighting for sure 100 percent, like emotional abuse so the family had uh, a dog named blue who robert loved to death um it was said that he they had a dog prior to blue as well and was treated the same way so he like talked super highly of the dog treated it better like showed more love to the dog than his own kids um so the dog was clearly his favorite part of family. Um, after the back incident he sustained while firefighting, he reportedly went to a massage parlor for some relief and ended up having sex with a massage therapist, as one does. Um, and he confided rub, in the rub, people... Rub, tugs. A little bit. Uh, he confided in the people at the church about it, and they urged him to speak to Mary, try to work through the situation. So he did. Um, and initially, Mary kicked him out of the house, but after a few days, he returned with promises of going to counseling and being a better godly man. And so the couple did do counseling with their pastor and were able to work through that. Um, but it was reported that 
some of their most recent fighting was due to Mary thinking that he had been having an affair. Um, though there's not a lot of information to like corroborate that, but that's what I was reading about. Um, so now we're going to jump to April 9th of 2001. Robert is 40 at the time. He took Brittany, now 12, to her inductee ceremony for the National Honor Society. And that same night, Mary took Bobby, now 10, to his hunting safety course at their church. So it was reported by neighbors that once all the family was back together at the house around 9.30 or 10 at night, they heard the couple getting into a very loud argument, um, again, which was pretty much a nightly occurrence. So the next morning, on April 10th of 2001, at around 8.42 a.m., police received numerous calls of an explosion and fire at 223 North 74th Place in Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, wait, a what? Explosion? Explosion and fire. Oh. So the calls that came in from all the surrounding areas, and it was said that the explosion could be heard for miles. Um, so the calls that came in, the neighbors in the surrounding areas sounded super frantic and uh, super frantic and panicked. That was a common combination word. Um, really trying to get across to 911. But like, no, this isn't just a house fire. Like, there was an explosion. Like, this is huge. Um, like, the neighboring houses were at risk of catching on fire, too. So, by the time 911 got there, the whole house was engulfed in flames. Um, I skipped a part, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> I was like, my brain's already thinking ahead, and I'm like, oh, I'm already going to know what happened. I already think I, like, can can formulate what's going on. I know. On, I always like to tell me. Um, did you want to place a guess? Yes. Okay, what's your guess? My, no, because I don't want to ruin the story, but you can cut this out. Why would it ruin the story? You because, could be wrong. But I'm probably not going to be wrong. But if I'm, if I'm right, just cut it out when you, when you um, put it in, okay? Okay, what? That he blew up the house and killed his whole family. Him and the dog are missing. Because he loves his dog, so the dog's not going to be, or, or the dog maybe is not missing, but the dog wasn't hurt and wasn't in the house during the explosion. So either... It, but he's he couldn't be found. Like they found the bodies of everyone else in the explosion, but they didn't find him, and now he's on the lamb. We'll see. Okay, so <laughs> when police and firefighters arrive on the scene, the whole house was lit up, uh, which confirmed that it wasn't a typical house fire, which usually starts slow and takes time to overtake the whole house. So uh, once the fire was out, then they were able to look at the wreckage, uh, look for human remains. They found Mary, who was lying in her bed, and the children were also laying in their beds. There was no indication that they had been awakened by the explosion or even attempted to move from their sleeping positions, which was odd, because even if there was an explosion, it would have still taken a few minutes to get up, like, or it would have taken a few minutes for the house to be fully engulfed. Can I ask um, a question? Sure. Were they strangled and or slash possibly shot? Or you're gonna find stabbed. out. So, they were murdered, clearly, because so, they didn't. Know. Okay, go ahead. Um, where's my notes? After careful examination of the bodies, it was determined that all three had their throats slit from ear to ear, and Mary also had a gunshot wound to the head, ensuring that she would not survive. Robert, the husband, was not at the house and could not be located, nor the family dog, Blue. <gasps> I was. I knew it. I knew because you said he, you made a point to say he loved that damn dog more than anyone else. And I was like, that dog's not going to be in the house. That and dog. he's not going to be in the house. Um, 
So his truck, though, was in the driveway, but Mary's car was gone. Police not knowing if Robert was at work, possibly on a trip, or otherwise having no knowledge of this event, which could be happening, uh-huh. um, tried to locate him. So they visited his job at the Mayo Clinic and confirmed that he had clocked out sometime in the 5 o'clock hour the night before and had not yet shown up for work that morning. Um, they searched a few other local areas that they thought he might be at, but had no luck. So at this point, he was not, quote-unquote, a suspect, uh-huh. but needed to be tracked down. <laughs> So during the police investigation, there was footage that they found from the evening before the explosion of Robert at a local ATM withdrawing $280. The math allowed for ATM withdrawals at the time. Um, And in the background, you could see that he had been driving Mary's car. Um, And if you remember, this was, so this happened at 10.42 p.m., the withdrawal of the money. And they had uh, reports of the fight from 9.30 to 10 that night so yeah. it was clearly not long so he slipped sl- slit their throats and shot them and then went out to go withdraw money from the atm more than likely um so they also found out that robert earlier that day the initial day had gotten his own truck to get an oil change so not sure if um he planned to take his own truck and then decided to take hers because it was a more common car but he ended up taking her car um It also appeared, as best they could tell uh, from the house fire, that most of his clothes were removed from the house. So there was also then the theory that maybe after they got into the fight, he decided, like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave. Oh, okay. But then she she slit her own throat and shot herself in the head and blew up the house. Or, like, um, there was a theory that, like, uh, someone else might have, like, it could have just been coincidence. Someone broke into the house and, yeah, whatever. So also during the investigation... Um, the fire crew basically um, found that accelerants were used in the explosion. So down the hallway, a candle was put in the middle and there was gas uh, poured along the hallway. And then the gas line had been broken off from the furnace, which is what caused the delayed explosion. Hmm. Um, Further, they never recovered the 357 Magnum that he always carried with him and was likely used in the shooting of Mary, but all his other like hunting rifles and all of that were recovered at the house. Because he always carried it with him, so he has it on him. Yeah. Um, I'm going to use my, they, de- my, deduct- my deductive detective skills. But also couch then, detectives. like, had it been left behind, they could have confirmed that it was the gun that was used. But they Oh, couldn't. so they're not going to do that because he takes it with him. It's his favorite little gun. Yeah. Like he so, took his favorite dog. Since this was an extremely unusual incident for Scottsdale, Arizona, um, the story was all over the nightly news. Police were hoping that they could use the media to help draw Robert out by airing news stories about him being a missing person and having no indication. Like, so Basically the stories not- initially were saying, like, talking about the explosion and the fire, but there was no mention that there was a murder involved. Yeah. It was just that people died in the house. Yeah, and then they were he's... listing him as missing, so that hopefully he would maybe like he's, come out after concerned a few days, about him. exactly, and be like, "Oh, I was camping. Like I had no idea what's going on." To but come out with happen. his lie, even though they already knew they had t- shit ton of evidence on him. Exactly, like it would at least give them the opportunity to question him had yeah. he come out. But um, information on the murders was leaked, and so the nightly news quickly covered that story, which then of course in turn, made Robert the, news... the prime suspect. Because the news freaking sucks, and they don't necessarily they don't think about the big picture no they just want to get their ratings and they don't always do what they should be doing and they tell misinfor oh that's miss they should get charged with misinformation i mean it's not misinformation it's true but 
but it's, it's like it's, it's, so there it's are crimes detrimental. That, right. There are there are charges that you can have for impeding an investigation, and that impedes an investigation because he could have come out after Burke. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Please leave that one in. <laughs> I wish every podcast you need to like One just burp. throw in a random burp every I don't single know one, why and then people just wait. For, <laughs> people just wait for it. They're just like, oh, there oh, it is, the burp Easter coming. <laughs> okay, so aside from the ATM footage from the night before the explosion, that was the last like concrete knowledge of where he was. Um, so. A few days later, at a bar in Payson, Arizona, uh, a waitress saw a man come in the bar with a woman, and he was very much trying to like keep out of sight of everyone, hiding his face, um, so she couldn't get a really clear look. Um, but she did get a good look of the girl. Well, so, that's suspicious right there. Trying to hide your face. You're going, to, you're going, uh, you're going <laughs> I used the titular line. Um, you're going to a bar out in public. And you're trying to hide your face. That's going to be super obvious. Yeah. Like, I don't know how he was doing it, but he basically, like, for the most part, sitting with his back towards everyone kind of thing so that, like, no one could really get a really good look. So the next day, though, um, not far from that bar, a local uh, homeowner had received a knock on the door. And they answered, and it was a woman standing there saying that her boyfriend had just basically deserted her and she needed to call a cab. Um now, the description of that woman matched the description of the woman in the bar from the waitress. Um, but again, it couldn't be confirmed that that man was Robert um, or that um, and that woman couldn't be located for them to. Corroborate I was going to say, I was going to say they didn't like reach out to her and say, hey, is this a picture of your boyfriend? You don't know what he looks like. Did he hide his face from her the whole time they were <laughs> dating? <laughs> they didn't get Yeah, they didn't get like any information on her to be able to locate her to confirm. So could be him, could not be him. Um, but it would potentially corroborate the part where Mary was under the impression that he was having an affair with a woman since this woman called the man her boyfriend and not just like a date. Um, so 10 days after the explosion, a couple was driving around in a fairly remote area, kind of in the wilderness. Um, and the wife who was a passenger in the vehicle saw Mary's car and a man fitting Robert's description walking around that car. The couple eventually called the police to report it, but not right away. Um, so by the time the police got out there, uh, all they located was the abandoned car, which was Mary's, and Blue, the family dog, was there as well. And Blue was unleashed, um, so he could have left at any point. And so there's some theories that if Robert had walked uh, to escape, like Blue was trained, so if he would have been said, sit, stay, he would have. But... Let's say he walked off into the wilderness into the wilderness to escape. Eventually, the dog probably would have left to, like, sniff the trail and follow along. Because that's usually what animals do. But he didn't. He stayed by the car. So some people think maybe Robert got picked up from that point from someone else, got into a car from someone else, uh, and left that way. But um, police thought that the car had been there for about two to three, but maybe up to five days at that point. And based on Blue's condition, he probably hadn't eaten in a couple of days. So Robert had been gone for probably about two to three days at that point. So they did a search of the surrounding area, but so the area that it was found in was a huge area. They only searched for one square mile from the vehicle. 
so not a not a very uh, so smart impactful search um, and that area has a ton of mines and caves and all of other things so they probably should have been a little more thorough but who knows um, there is a chance some say that potentially he walked off into the wilderness somewhere and killed himself and his body's just never been recovered he did have uh, IRAs savings kids savings and a lot of assets but none of them have been touched none then and even none still to this day um, and there was no evidence that he had stored away any cash anywhere now over the years there's been a ton of sightings since in a <laughs> your face <laughs> like you had a glitch in the matrix so over the years there have been a ton of sightings because he has a really familiar face he's like he has distinct features but they're familiar distinct features so it's easy to look at them and be like oh, you could kind of maybe be him um and in 2011 fbi was receiving four to five tips a day on sightings for him so really hard to to corroborate each and every one of those um, there was potential sightings in Guatemala, in Mexico, in Canada. Um, so in Guatemala, a tourist was out taking pictures, and there was someone who was in the background of the photo that walked up to them and said, why are you taking photos of me? I've killed before, and I'll kill again. Um, they thought that he looked familiar, and the FBI has this photo, but will not release it due to privacy, but indicated that they cannot confirm that it is him or not him, and they've been unable to track down the person in the background of the photo to get a solid answer either way. And in Canada, so um, they, Mary and Robert had a, a neighbor at some point in Arizona named Wade, and he had been their neighbor for almost 10 years. So he now lived in Canada, um, and he indicated that he was 100% sure that this guy he saw in Canada was Robert. He had all this, uh, he had similar distinctions from like scars and tattoos. Um, but so, and this guy was in prison, I guess. He had gotten arrested at some point. So they ran fingerprints. It wasn't him. Um, they still, like, because Wade was so certain, they sent him to the jail to pretend to be an inmate and, like, try to get closer to, like, really confirm if it was him. And he was like, I'm sure it's him. But, again, fingerprints didn't match. They ended up um, bringing in the mother of the criminal, and she was like, no, this is my son, so-and-so. Like, so, again, couldn't confirm it was him. Um, so Robert William Fisher is still on FBI's 10 most wanted list to this day. Um, he's still missing. And so, um, I have some physical descriptions just so people can keep an eye out. And there have been, um, like police renderings of what he might look like now, since now he's about 60. So he's six foot tall. Um, at the time was about 190 pounds. So in really good physical condition, um, had a very distinct walk because he had so many back problems. Uh, he stood very tall, like, um, and straight, very tall and straight. And, um, he also had some surgical scars from when he was a child, though it was pretty common surgery. So, um, a lot of people have those scars and his bicuspid tooth at the time was gold, although it could have been changed, um, at this point. And, his appearance could probably have changed too. He had somewhat of a prominent nose um, and kind of angular features, but we'll have pictures up on our Instagram so you can see. But that is the story of the most wanted Robert William Fisher.
give me his name one more time. Robert William oh. Fisher. Hang on, I want to see what he looks like. Or what he did look like. Okay, so at the time he had really short hair, like buzz cut. Yeah. But again, so it's been 20 years at this point. Um, yeah. So he could have physically changed a lot. So. Um, oh, yeah, I see the age pro progressions too. They're, or at least they were trying. Yeah. And so even though he was really. Um, like controlling and manipulative and stuff like that, he treated like physically and like financially, he treated uh, his wife and his kids well. So it's thought that, you know, if he started a new life and ended up with someone else, um, that they might be like, oh, like this couldn't be him because like he treats me so well and stuff like that. But yeah, so if anyone out there even thinks that they might know where he is, Go to the FBI. <laughs> like, yeah, the FBI apparently. Report his ass. This was, I don't know when this was posted, but um, it looks like, at least as of when this one was posted, they have a reward of $100,000 for information directly leading to his arrest. Yeah. So if you, if you have any information on any um, most wanted or FBI uh, case that they're looking for someone or looking for information, you can call 1-800-CALL-FBI or 1-800-225-5324. Submit a tip. But yeah, he's a 100% a piece of shit. Yeah. And I I wonder if it's like he killed his family because he didn't believe in divorce. Like he was so anti-divorce because of what he went through as a kid. But like, that's not, Maybe. that's not a better solution, Robert. He'd be 57, I think. Oh, well, and that was in 2018. In 2000 and, yeah, in 2001, he was 40, so he'd probably be 60 now, or about to be 60, depending on when his birthday Yeah, because it was uh, April. Yeah. So he's hmm. about to be 60. I hope he died. You know, because your case had a little bit of, like, like a bright not a bright light, but you know what I mean? Like yours has a little bit yeah. of hope in the end because he finally is at least being brought he f to a trial to, to hopefully just, yeah. um, have justice served. So I'm hoping that one day somebody will turn in Robert William Fisher and he will be located and his ass will go to jail. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't, I don't think he would, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't know anything about him besides what you just told me, but I don't think he would have just walked off and like killed himself. I don't think so either. I think he went to a country, another country, probably. Yeah. Um, he probably headed, my guess would be heading south because south would be easier because Arizona is close to, you know, the border. But who knows? Just, he would have kept years, traveling south. He could have been he could, he could be anywhere. All he could be Right. Yeah. He could be anywhere. He could be some in some small town in the U.S. somewhere. Who knows? Yeah. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I want to know more. I know. This is the hard part about unsolved cases. It's like, yeah, it gives you a little bit of hope that like maybe one day they'll, they'll get caught for it. Yeah. But it's also like, it's hard when it's been so long. So thanks for listening to our stories. Thanks for sharing that one. I haven't heard of that one before. I'm surprised. I watch a lot of murder stories. I'm surprised I haven't seen but there's maybe. so many. Like, I wonder what the statistic is of like how many murders occur 
every minute, like, or every day. Across the U.S.? Yeah. Well, this isn't really a good statistic, but it just says, uh, according to the FBI data, the national murder rate held steady in 2019 at five murders per 100,000 people. Oh, okay. No, that's something. That's some statistic. (laughs) That's something. Well, on that great note, be on the lookout for him. Get your hundred grand. If you see him, don't approach him. Call the the FBI. Oh, I say approach him and kick him in the nuts. No. Approach, kick in the nuts, get your money, girl. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) Check out our episode next time. Don't forget to rate, please. Subscribe if you like it. Yeah. Give us some reviews. Give us story suggestions. You can find us at, you can find us on Instagram at suspicious underscore podcast, or you can email us suspicious at gmail.com s-i-s-p-i-c-i-o-u-s just like the title of the podcast and we will see you next time bye